Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. <laughs> if the mic's a little high, you can turn it down. Make sure you're awake. Show of hands, who was happy to see snow today? Oh, man, you people are messed up. <laughs> can all go away now for the rest of the year. Uh, it's nice to be with you all today. Um, if you want to stand, we'll pray, and we'll praise God. Uh, Father, we love you. We're here for you this morning. We praise you that uh, you're always with us in good and bad. Um, you're always there through everything, God. We just need to be still and have faith in you. Um, so we love you. We pray for this season as we come into Advent and Christmas. circles around us outside of this place we show your love and um, we just show you to all of them all the people around us God to remind them that you're the reason for all of this it's not presents it's not Christmas trees and everything it's fun it's wonderful but uh, you're, the, you're the joy of it all so we love you we praise you pray for Leonard uh, pray for us as we hear your word today we pray for the youth all the volunteers God May this be a great morning for you, for your kingdom. We praise you and thank you so much for Thursday and just uh, the work you did and all the volunteers that helped, God. Um, and if it's your will to be to be done next year again, we pray for even greater success, God. We love you and we give this time to you.
because we have a great God. up we have the advent at the very beginning of the new testament it is mary's story more than any other that illuminates our understanding of a relationship with the living god we can also appreciate how she is truly representative of all who would know and love and follow jesus after the spirit and not after the flesh what an exemplar of faith and humility we have been entrusted in her story from the hills of judea the story now picks up in the north of the country there was no particularly spectacular sunrise in Galilee that morning, nor had there been any strange portents in the sky the night before. When Mary awoke, there was nothing out of the ordinary to give her a heightened expectation that this was going to be a special day. The outside temperature was normal for the time of year, and the barometric pressure suggested no unusual atmospherics. It was another day of rounds and routines. She was altogether ordinary to all, apart from Joseph, hopefully. Why? She was his fiance, and so she was almost certain to have at least one nuptial thought throughout the day. Her family was pleased about the engagement and thought she was marrying up, as he was a descendant of David. So it was not as if life was dull, because she did have something to look forward to with Joseph, like a baby. Then there was a sound like the brush of angel wings. There was a palpable presence. Despite this, it is so interesting to read the almost matter-of-fact way the text gives the details, obviously recorded by a man, not a woman. Galilee, Nazareth, Virgin Mary. For sure, God knows our address and genealogy. His research and knowledge of us is perfect. When he comes to us, he knows what he is getting into because he knows where we have come from and where we are at presently. What's more, he audaciously asserts that he knows where we can go from here 
and what we can be, regardless of the background check that we would have assumed would have eliminated us long ago from any possible plans or desires of deity. Good morning. So, uh, first and foremost, I want I want to thank God and I want to thank all of you all for helping make Thanksgiving such a successful event. Um, we were able to serve well over 400 people. Um, you know, from the pie preparations to making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to wiping tables to running out in in between cars in the cold to for the carryouts. It was absolutely fabulous. Um, after service, if you want to, we do have coffee and pie out in the entrance there. You guys are more than welcome to take some pie, take some coffee. But th this is a small way of us saying thank you for what you did for us. Um, and one other thing, this Thursday is the Christmas parade. If you are interested in volunteering, there's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer. So... We're looking for people to help pass out things, but also people to ride the float and make us look uh, happy and merry for, for our Jingle Jam event, which is coming up uh, December 19th. So mark your calendars. Kids are dismissed. And I know that a lot of people in this room were part of that, and we're just so grateful that you were just poised to respond to the call. And I think a lot of us have been in that dormant state for so long that we're just like the grass, you know, that you, 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 the very first grass that you mow, you mow in the spring, you know how it like just comes back like that, and it's so hardy and robust. You guys are like that, but we just kind of want to keep that going as well. And as uh, God is prompting us to do different things, it is so refreshing to be in a space where our hearts and our minds are aligned around God's kingdom and his purpose and his purpose for First Christian Church and how people came together in a spirit of unity uh, for love towards the community. And we just were able to, uh, words can't really carry the freight of, uh, of that and got to meet a lot of new people. Uh, some people from the community actually came and volunteered and uh, just amazing. So uh, thank you guys for just being open to hearing the voice of God and responding accordingly. Uh, there, there is a lot going on this December. And we started off with Advent this morning. And we are going through uh, the Advent devotional guide. If you haven't picked one up, uh, it looks like this. Uh, they're right there on the back table as you go out. Please feel free to grab one because today is the first day of Advent. So as uh, we go through it, we're looking at Advent through the eyes of Mary, but also at an experiential level, what it was like for a woman in her time and place and conditions to have to go through what she went through in order to bring Jesus into the world, starting with her womb. And as we read the passage, sometimes we forget she's a human being. Jesus is a human being, and the whole point of that drama, very real drama, by the way, is so that as human beings, 
Jesus can connect with us. And hopefully, like an infant does to a mother, we can attach to him. Well, we're going to explore that a little bit during Advent, and as we do, uh, hopefully your readings will help you to really be in tune with that and then the celebration that we'll be having on uh, December uh, 24th. Uh, so a few other things that you saw up on the screen that we need to keep in mind, just put those back on real quickly um, if we can. Uh, Christmas Parade, as you know, uh, family cookie decorating event at 6, uh, our congregational meeting on the 12th, and Jingle Jam um, on the 19th. So if you need more details, uh, we do send out a guide every, every two weeks, and it'll tell you more information, or we have it online uh, with uh, FaceSpace or our website or whatever it is that uh, you find as your go-to pathway. Um, so pretty excited about that. And then also this evening, we're going to be gathering here at 4 o'clock. We've been going through the book of Philippians. We've taken a break from Luke. And now we're going to be uh, transitioning back to Luke again. Uh, but it'll be going backwards some. But we'll, you'll find out more about that next week. Um, but for now, uh, we want to celebrate what we've been able to explore because it is a church that has so many features about their experience that we felt like if we look at this book and we see where we're at in 2021 and all the things we've had to go through, that book really resonates well. And I'm pretty excited about uh, closing out the message today and then celebrating uh, the substance of what's in that book uh, tonight at four for a little bit of worship, a little bit of reading and praying and, and, and praising. So if you, if you uh, are looking for something to do at four, Come and join us here in the sanctuary. Now, uh, as we get into our prayer time real quickly, I want to mention a couple of people that uh, I'm aware of who are uh, in the hospital. I, I believe they're non-COVID related, so I know that's the first thing that people think about. And uh, the, the, the two people I want to mention are Paul Heim, uh, who is um, uh, in the hospital recovering. Uh, they're not really sure what it is, but he's just been disoriented. And uh, Vicki Zubedi, who is uh, the daughter of uh, Ed and Pat Sheen, I want to pray for Vicki. She's got some things going on that they're not really clear regarding the cause. And so I promised her that we would be keeping her lifted up in worship. So with that said, are there any, any burdens that are being brought into this room that we can share together in prayer? Because I know God changes things when we do. Uh, I've just seen it enough. Or are there any things that you have on your heart that you want to celebrate today? Anybody want to offer anything? Robin? Okay, very good. So you no longer live under the stress of that uncertainty. Very good to hear. Okay. All right. Anyone else? All right. Okay. Okay. Emily and Michelle, uh, high-risk pregnancies. So pray that God will bring everybody safely to uh, that, that important day and then through it. Okay. Any others? All right. Would you bow with me? Our Lord Jesus, um, we do find in all the clamor and noise not just of the season, but of the moment that we're living in, in history, that you help us to be still, 
and to know in that still small voice that you are God. And when you speak to our hearts, Lord, help us to let it register and sink in. And then, Lord, help it to realign our hearts and our minds with you however you see fit. Thank you for the good work that you're doing here at First Christian, for the opportunity that we were given to bless lives, and then to be able to be aligned enough to do so in a way that hopefully was pleasing to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for touching all the lives that you were able to touch. And I pray that when people think about that experience in the rearview mirror, that primarily it would be thoughts about you. And we pray, Father, that as we seek to do more and more things as a church body, opportunities that you create for us to serve, to be together in groups, that we would be aligned in heart and mind, and in a lot of ways, Father, based on the teachings that we've learned in these past several weeks in Philippians. Father, thank you for the unity of the Spirit, for taking our fear and our discontentment and replacing it with rejoicing and hope and expectation. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a challenge to imitate Jesus, even as we saw Paul imitate him and in so many ways lay so many things down and reattach to things that were now in his mind the most important things, namely you, Lord, and the things that flow from that. Lord, I thank you for being with Robin and just helping her with challenges that she's been facing. And I thank you, Father, for being with those we've been praying for in the past and seeing prayers answered. Some of them have taken a very long time, but we know, Father, that our prayers never go unheard. It's simply a response of yes, not now, but in process. Or maybe you say, no, because I've got something different completely in mind. But we trust you are always at work. And we want to be a prepared people, able to respond to the things that you place in front of us. And as you do, hopefully you find us faithful to the task. And we also want to be a people that are moving forward in purpose and mission and as we plan for the new year and we just get aligned in things that we're anticipating, we pray that even as we make the plans, we trust that you will direct the path. Father, in this room, uh, we just want to surrender our hearts and our minds. And for our friends who are gathering online, I just ask that you help them as well to do the same, to be kneeling at your feet and trusting that what you what you have given for us to receive, uh, we could see that it emerges out of a great and profound love that you have to see us restored to what you originally created us to be. And Father, along that path, help us to keep in mind the disciples' prayer as you taught them and expected them to meditate on it. So Father, help us to pray it, to remember it, to think about it, to ruminate on it as we pray it together now. Would you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I don't know if you realize it or not, but we've practically read through the whole book of Philippians uh, these past several weeks. And as we've done that, hopefully we've explored enough um, of the twists and turns and contours of it that uh, some things have jumped out at you. Um, and if nothing else, you've had some takeaways, like uh, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And uh, there are so many others that uh, we've explored, and maybe we'll make a list of what all those things are that are the key takeaways. And maybe I, if you can, I would just love to hear uh, at some point what, what your takeaways were. And maybe we can get Brittany to put something on Facebook or something that says, you know, what were your key takeaways from Philippians? And, uh, and hopefully we can carry them around in our shirt pocket and think about it. So uh, with that said, if you have your Bibles with you, let's look at Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to be going from verses 10 to the end of the book. And in that reading... Um, I got to, I'm going to have a question for you that will pop up here in just a second. But for now, um, I just want to read this, and maybe you can, you, can, you can figure out what my question is today. So here we go. Paul said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for... I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. The secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance, and need. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Actually, that was my memorized version. I should have read it. But you get the drift. Yet it was kind of, kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia... No church entered into a partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment, and more I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever. Amen. But that's not really the end. He says, also greet those, every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those who are, in of all places, Caesar's household. Those guys as well. And that's sort of how he ends the letter. 
But I want to end this letter, hopefully, uh, with, with some practices that you and I can bring to bear upon our lives as we, we kind of walk away from this letter thinking that letter was a pathway to discipleship in this fresh way in my life. And I want to start out by asking the question, have you, have you, each of you, learned the secret of contentment? Because Paul says there's a secret here, and not everybody knows it, and the word needs to get out. And that word is actually centered in a word that he uses a lot in this particular four-chapter letter called the gospel. And there's something about the good news that changes everything regarding how you and I look at life. And if there's one thing that churches need to accomplish, it isn't just bringing you into a vital relationship with Christ, seeing you drawn out of darkness and brought into the kingdom where you begin to find new life and life abundant, life eternal, life that is indescribable, life that is not of this world but also the instruction that you need to live this life out. And Paul was looking at this church through the lens of his spiritual imagination because he is, as you know, he's in prison. His big plans that he had to go all over the world and start churches wherever he could, well, they are not in play right now. He's essentially like a train on the side rail just waiting but he's not just sitting there doing nothing. He's saying, I can do something powerful. And he writes this letter to a church. And I don't know that he fully anticipated that 2,000 years later, we would be reading this letter and saying, oh, that's so helpful. Because when you look at contentment, because it has a lot to do with your life and mine today, If you're like me, you struggle with being content. And if you don't struggle with it, all you have to do is, well, turn on your TV, open up your web browser, just do anything where some form of media is coming into your brain. You will find messages that say, basically, isn't this awesome what we have to give you? These clothes, that cologne, that skincare treatment, that vacation, that car, that you fill in the blank. Because however they've painted it, and then you match it up with, well, your house, it needs a little bit of paint. Your body, if it's like mine, that has wrinkles that it didn't used to have, hair that's a little thinner than it used to be, and grayer as well, I don't think I need to go on, do I? I look at my car and I'm like, it's only got 170,000 miles on it. But then I see the car that's on TV that has a TV. Not just one, three. And I'm like, man. And there's something about marketing, isn't it, that it tells you in very subtle ways you, my friend, your life is below average. 
but we are here to help you step up your game. I think that's just embedded in the curriculum for students going to college and marketing 101. Create discontentment so that you can create contentment. And the Apostle Paul, well, I don't know what the messages were in his day, but I know for a variety of reasons there was discontentment about the way life worked in general. Discontentment about a few people having a lot and a lot of people not having much. There was discontentment about the fear of doing anything that defied the Roman government. There was discontentment about the fact that the kind of peace that the Roman government said everyone could have and experience meant that if you stepped out of line with the Roman government, your peace would be replaced with their version of Smith and Wesson. And that's just really the anxiety that set the tone for their way of life, notwithstanding the anxiety that we have in ours, right? I mean, you can look at all that marketing and say, in a general experience describing my life, that is true, but the last almost two years, there's been another kind of anxiety, and there's been another kind of discontentment, and there's been another kind of rewriting of everything that is making it hard for me to live my life. And Paul knows well what you're going through. It's not like he could say, yeah, I lived in the 21st century, but he is saying that I know the pattern here. And that's the fact that things are happening in your world that you have no control over. And it's upsetting you. And he says, I get it. I've been there. But I've learned the secret. Now, if you go to college, one of the things that happens is people join sororities and fraternities. And when they do, there's a process called hazing which in effect is an initiation into the fraternity. It means that you go through something that is humiliating so that it kind of breaks you down. And if you weather that storm, they're like, you did it. And now you can be one of us. And then there are other kinds of initiation that have happened in different groups over time. But in the Roman period, there was an initiation into secret societies. And they would look at you and they would say, is that a good candidate to be a part of our group? And if you fit all the criteria, they would say, hey, I'm going to tell you something. We have a secret. Not everybody knows, but it will definitely give you a leg up. And it might be something to do with the business community. It might just have something to do with the occult. It might have something to do with philosophy of life. And Paul took that word that is used in that way in his day, and he said, you guys have all been sort of initiated into Christianity, but the secret is you got to understand this thing. And so when they saw that word secret, and it's a Greek word, musterion, they're like, what's he talking about? I told my daughter yesterday, I said, what are you talking about, Willis? And she looked at me like, what are you talking about? 
And man, I'll tell you what, I feel like I've moved down the timeline a lot farther than I realized. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. You know the sad part? This is really bad. I looked at Mandy and I said, now what was the name of that show? <laughs> I'd never had that happen before. Then I walked out the door, got clear on the other side of, of the yard, and I'm like, oh, I remember now. It's different strokes, right? And when Paul said these words, I know they were saying, what you talking about, Willis? Because you've told us a lot of things, and now you're bringing us to this moment. You're going to initiate us into something. What is it? And Paul's kind of like, well, I've been saying it all, the, all along. I've been giving you clues all along, and I'm going to just spell it out for you, what the mystery is that you're being initiated into. So as we read these things, it's actually embedded in there, the secret that is. A little earlier, he said in, in 2, 14 and 15, he looked at the discontentment that was going on in just humanity and potentially in the church and in the history of his own people as a Jew. He recognized that discontentment was something that God frowned upon in ways that... Uh, you, you wouldn't entirely anticipate because in the wilderness generation, they complained about the water and they complained about the food and they complained about this and they complained about that. The whole time God is saying, we're just sort of in a staging area. This is sort of a moment where we're going to move into the promised land. And he was getting ready to do it. But he's like, I don't want these people in that space that I've dedicated for them, if they're going to be in this mind. And so instead of taking a few weeks, he said, we're going to take about 40 years and figure this out. That's how disturbing it was for a believer in Paul's world to look back at that moment and say, yeah, grumbling got them into a lot of trouble. But it wasn't so much the grumbling as the lack of trust that God is there to help, that God is embedded in our situation. And their vision in that moment was God was sort of standoffish and far away and glorious. And, you know, Moses was at the burning bush and he had to take his feet off, shoes off and he had to basically, you know, prostrate before the burning bush and he couldn't look at God or he would die. And Paul says, we're not in that moment. God came. You saw him. You saw his story unfold. You knew where it wound up. And you also knew where it went from there. And as they reflected on that, Hopefully, Paul kind of woke them up a little bit, and he said, put this in perspective, people. You are the people of God. God is at work in you. You have to trust him. Yes, complaining, discontentment, grumbling, if it's just you versus the world, I totally get it. But the secret is, it's not. The good news is, it's not. And so when Paul said this in Philippians 2, he's saying, don't do it. 
but rather when people see you, they just don't hear another echo of what they're hearing everywhere else around you, but they're seeing you as different people who have something that doesn't quite make sense. When marketers are telling you you're a loser, when the world is telling you you're going to not make it, you're going to die, you should be afraid, it's bad, there's nothing you can do. Paul's saying, oh, but there is. There is. Because there's someone underneath it all who may be even using that to get your attention, but when he does, he's saying, you got to trust me. And Paul says, the world is, well, it's blemished, it's crooked, it's twisted. And God's mission isn't to keep it in that place, but to go into the world and work from the inside out to bring it back into order. We talked about that last week. And Paul is saying, your job isn't to complain to everybody about how bad you think it is out there in the church, in your life, in your relationships with people that are critical to you. Your job is to be that person that when people see you, they see hope. When they see you, they see joy. When they see you, they see a peace that goes beyond all understanding. When they see you, they see the Lord. This four small set of chapters is designed to initiate you and I into a way of life where the Lord's life and your life, well, pretty soon when people see you, they see him. And the secret really is all about that. So Paul says, the job that we have while here on earth, because from here, it only gets better. But while you're here, you have a responsibility to reflect the one who saved you, who redeemed you, who is now at work in you, and dare I say, who is alive in you through the Holy Spirit. You're part of the process that God began a long time ago to take back what was his, to reclaim that which is broken, and to make whole that which is fragmented, so I have two questions <clears throat> as I'm looking at this. What is the secret? And if I'm really thinking about it, I'm asking the question, how can I learn it? Not just in, got it locked away in my head, pastor, got four points, done. Put that in the notebook, flip the page over, next item on the agenda. No, that's not what Paul's talking about. It's kind of like you telling somebody, how to repair a car tire. You can do a YouTube video all day long, but until you do it and you get your hands dirty and you go through the process of learning and failing and hopefully not getting killed, um, all of a sudden you get sort of good.
good at it. Paul is saying, I want you to practice this thing. And I want it to come alive in you. But how does that happen? Well, in Paul's day, there was an alternate option for contentment. And it centered on the Roman idea of how you do things. And underneath the Roman idea was this notion of stoicism. And I had my kids read this book by Marcus Aurelius when they went to college because I knew that a lot of what he said would be helpful for them to think about, well, how it is that they deal with the challenges and the problems and the disappointments and the frustrations of life because he wrote a lot about that. But I also had in the background of my mind a fear that perhaps they would be seduced out of the way of life that they were taught here, brought into a way of life that said, no disrespect, but basically would say stuff like, you're not a boy, you're a girl. Say stuff like, you can do whatever you want sexually, any way you want to anyone you want, and don't judge. A way of life that says, your whole demeanor should be centered on righting all the wrongs and injustices of the world, which, don't get me wrong, that is a godly impulse. And just so many things that are designed to express what we find in the Bible without any reference to God. Our sexuality, certainly something God talked a lot about. Our identity, certainly central to the whole message our sense of security, God's got that too. But anyway, back to Marcus Aurelius. Because he says a lot about how you manage all of the challenges of life. And his basic premise is, we want you to be able to look at the challenges and be unaffected by things that happen to you. People calling you names, don't let it get to you. Life working against you in a way that your purposes and your work thwarted, don't let it bother you. Somebody getting under your skin, doesn't have to happen. And the idea of stoicism was you create something called the inner citadel. That is, you create a fortress around your soul that nobody can penetrate. And the reason why I had my kids read this is because there's so much that Marcus Aurelius said that resonates with what, with what Paul says, except one critical thing. He's not a Christian, and his view of the unseen has more to do with the Roman gods and pantheon than it does about the... God that we read about in the storyline of the Bible. And what I was hoping they would see is he's helpful, but he's not enough. Because that's exactly where Paul was. He learned a lot from his own tradition, but he also went to a school where they taught both all of the Greek philosophy stuff, how to speak rhetorically and boldly, but also the Jewish heritage. And a lot of this stuff was getting into the hearts and the minds of believers 
But Paul says what people are saying about keeping yourself content in times of deep disturbance, it's helpful, but it's not enough. Because if it's just you versus the world, it's still going to fall apart. And with Marcus Aurelius, as brilliant as he was, as perceptive as he was about the things that make the world work and his own soul, there was missing just one ingredient. And when Paul saw it, he knew that was the way. That it has to be someone outside of yourself who plays a role in your life when you are facing the forces of the world that are beyond your capacity to do anything about. I don't know if that was a good way to say it, but Paul was saying this, stuff is going to come your way, and sometimes it's going to be good, and sometimes you're thinking, how in the world was I dealt this hand? How in the world did I get this diagnosis of this disease? Or as I was told this morning when I was coming to work, my wife told me about uh, one of their students who was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. And you're like crushed because you think about that child not even having the symptoms. And then by age 20, it may be game over. And you look at this stuff and you say, how in the world do you overcome this stuff? And Paul says, there is one who overcame. And you have to attack to him and then he goes to work in you and through you even through all of that stuff Paul is of all people somebody that should be frustrated because he's got a great education he's got a great mind he's got lots of energy he has a vision and a purpose and he's on fire to make it happen and then all of a sudden he is shut down in prison can you imagine the level of frustration he must have felt? Because there wasn't even a trial yet. They just throw you in there to kind of keep you off the street. And then they figure it out. And he's like, they may decide the biscuits and gravy they had that morning for breakfast was churning in their gut, and they're just going to behead some people today, and I may be one of them. That's sort of how it works. And the Apostle Paul knew that it may not end well, but he didn't care. Not so much about the fact that it wasn't going to end well, but the fact that this just goes on to something better. But he did care about the people that were going to be left behind. I mean, a lot of us think about what, happened, what, ha what would happen if I died? And some of us are in the place where I'm, I'm okay with that. I really have peace about it. But what about them? What about them? I love them, and I want to see them flourish and thrive. And so Paul writes this letter knowing that this may be the end. And he doesn't build an inner citadel inside and say, just going to tough it out. He doesn't tell them to build an inner citadel. I mean, there's actually a coin that you can get if you're a stoic and you believe in the inner citadel. You can get it. And you can carry it around your pocket and something starts to get to you. You pull it out and you say, 
but I've got this thing around me, this fortress, this defensive thing. I'm not letting anybody in. I don't know if that's so good because pretty soon you shut everybody out, you shut everybody out. And that doesn't work. So Paul said this, I'm attached to some things now that I didn't used to be attached to. Clearly, he's not attached to having a lot, and he's not attached to the fact that I'm, I'm living in, in, in po- poverty. Paul's not attached to material things. He had some things going for him, probably some wealth, given his status in society. Certainly, as it connected to his pedigree, he could say, well, I'm the reverend, doctor, most holy, so-and-so, Pharisee of Pharisees. How can I help you? He's like, my name used to be Paul or Saul. Now no, I'm just, just call me Paul. So honor, pride, two things that are important in this world that we have to wrestle with. He said, I'm not attached to that anymore. Contentment in the stoic form, not attached to that idea at all. Fear of loss, not even attached to my own life anymore in the sense that you might imagine. But I am attached to the fear of the loss of people, which leads to the things that he is attached to. He's attached to Jesus, first and foremost. And when I say, okay, I'm going to use an example because this is actually where it, where it winds up at. We're not going to get there. It's about giving. Paul is sort of like a vehicle by which money is distributed to other churches through him. And sometimes he's having to receive because in prison, they don't provide food. They don't provide three square meals a day. They don't provide all of the things that you could imagine that you should get as a, entitled and by your rights. None of that. He didn't have two coins to rub together. And Paul said, I'm content. I'm not attached except to the Lord. You know, when, when we take up an offering, you could say, well, I'm, I'm going to give, if I have anything left over, I'm going to give Paul, or I'm going to give God 10%, which is kind of a standard response that a, not, a lot of new believers do based on the biblical precedent of tithing. But what God wants us to understand is you can give him what's left over, but typically the pattern of giving was always you give him the first and you give him actually the thing that's most valuable. Firstborn, nicest lamb, nicest cow, nicest dove. You don't give him the dregs. And it's kind of like I'm looking at my checkbook and I'm saying all this is mine except for the little I give to him. Not realizing like Paul that all of it actually came from God to begin with. And so it's not, okay, God, I'm going to swipe my phone and do a, you know, electronic transfer. It's like you're going to give him your phone, your checkbook, your account. And you get into this posture where in all ways you say yes to Christ. I really hesitate to talk about money because it, it makes me nervous. Having been traumatized by serial televangelist in my formative years, I struggle with it. 
But I also know that resources that we're given are resources that we use to bless. And so I just say you take that up with the Lord regarding how that should work out. But at the end of the day, like Paul, it should just say yes to Jesus in all things. And when you hold out, you're basically saying, I'm attached to that. That's more important. It's in your grasp, but you know what? You'll never be able to keep it. Paul is saying, Jesus is in my grasp, and I'm not letting go because I know he's not letting go. And he looks at his friends in all the churches, and he says, I love these people more than words can even express. My brothers and sisters, so he fires off all these letters. I can't be there, but I'm going to write a letter to you. Have you ever gotten a letter from somebody who couldn't be there with you? You read it, and you're like, oh, I just see their soul in this letter. And there's something about letter writing that affects people when it's written and can affect people 21 centuries later. Paul is attached to these guys. He loved these guys. His mission was to tell the good news to these guys. They heard it, and then his desire was, oh, but if they could just come alive in the Lord. But maybe they don't know, so I want to show them. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He tells us that in this whole book in so many ways. If you need a living example because Jesus is now with the Father, just look at my life. And I hope as a result of just taking that thought and being initiated into the secret, that when somebody says to each of you that God has placed in your world, tell me about Jesus. Because already you've been showing them and now they want to know. What would it be like if every person at First Christian Church, when we just do our daily stuff, had enough, I'm not saying anybody's going to be perfect, we never will be this side of meeting the Lord, but we had enough of us in us that says, I love you, and I want to serve you, and I want to help you, and I want to show the love of Jesus to you. I want to show grace, I want to show mercy, but sometimes they want to call you out, but I want to do it in love and in tears. When people see that, they're actually just seeing what we read in the Gospels. And I tell you, as a pastor, my greatest reward is to see people in that space where they told me initially, you'll never get me in a church. I'm not interested in the Lord. And then all of a sudden one day, the discontentment or the need is eating them up so much, they're like, I've seen enough of him and you. I'm going to test the water. Wouldn't that be cool if by your witness people said, it's a crazy moment that we're living in, but your attitude 
your response, your fearlessness, your joy, that peace that I don't see on a lot of faces. I'd like some of that. And if you can showcase all of those features to the world that showcase him, God can do some pretty powerful things through us. And that really is how I just want to cap this off. Other than to say, if you've met him through these message series and you want to know him as a member of his family in a way that we've kind of come to know him, we want to invite you into that space. We want to take you through the initiation rite, baptism. It's a way of saying that in my heart, if I believe that Jesus is the Christ, he is the son of the living God, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior, it is a way of expressing death to that old self. Like Paul said, no longer attached to all that stuff that everybody says is important, and now life in him and attached to him and his church and everything that he's about. I don't want to try to convince you in my own words without knowing that it's actually the Holy Spirit working in your heart, doing all the heavy lifting. But if he's been doing something, I'm asking you, maybe you should respond. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you have done in so many ways, in ways that we don't even acknowledge. I thank you, Father, for taking our discontentment and replacing it with new expectations that center on you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you help us with each and everything that causes us to feel like we're afraid, we're alone. My world is not in order anymore. I, I can't make sense. And Lord Jesus, you have come to show us not only the answer to those questions, you've come to show us yourself. Just continue to re reveal yourself to this body so that in our awareness of your presence in our lives, you'll shape us to be the people that you call us to be. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving us, for dying on the cross, for taking away the wrath of our sin and giving us uh, rescue out of the, the captivity of the evil one, for showing us, Father, who you made us to be to begin with, by delivering us through a bloodstained cross into that space where we are now your people. Filled with the grace and the love that only comes from you from the outside. With the security and the identity and the contentment that only comes from you. Make, our, make your people and myself included the people we need to be in this moment of confusion, I pray. In Jesus' name.
else I have to add to that other than just to reiterate what Lance said so well. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Many things, as Lance said, that are helpful but are not enough. God has supplied our every need, and this is the place, this is the moment in our service and the moment that Christ has prescribed that we forget all else and remember him because he is our, is the one thing that supplies, that we needed supplied that we could never attain here gift of Christ Jesus that he's given us, he's given us in Christ salvation and there's so many things that we need and God knows what they are but there's one thing I need more than anything else and that's a savior and he supplied that, I could have everything I wanted here I could work for everything and not find him Here's the point in our service where he brings us before the cross where we lay ourselves down, lay our sin down. In any sermon you hear, the work of the Holy Spirit is to give this sweet conviction to your heart that says, come this way, go in that direction, leave that behind. This is where we do that. And we pray that God would free us from it, and in faith we accept that freedom walk in resurrection power, remembering him in this way. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for what you are for us, everything we need before God the Father, helping us to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, the dance of the Trinity, helping us and preparing us for eternity with the eternal one, where we're one with God, ever glorifying him as he's ever glorified in us. May we taste of that now as we lay our sin down, lay our worries down. Look at the cross and know that that's where you said it is finished. And then look at the empty tomb and live in the freedom of all the things that you died to save us from, free from them. As we sin and sin again, you save and save again. Thank you that that is true. I need it and I know that Anybody here who has a pulse and who's honest needs it as well. Thank you that you provide everything we need. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. stand with us when you're ready.
speaks truth. He's the one good king that outlasts them all. King of kings, Lord of lords. We're about to celebrate this upcoming season when that king left the throne, came for us, lived among us as a peasant, took a lowly state as we learned in Philippians 2, humbled himself. Help us to bear fruit in looking at your example of humility and walk in the gospel. Because, Lord Jesus, you, you are the gospel. Everything you are, everything you did, everything you've done is sufficient for our joy, salvation, satisfaction, and mission. So let us carry you to the nations. Let us carry you to our neighbors, to our co-workers. And speak the truth in love and worship in so doing. Thank you for you've given us such a privilege even know your name, let alone belong to it. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right. This, uh, this afternoon at 4 o'clock, just a reminder, we're going to meet in this room and we're going to do this very thing. We're the band. You're the band. We're all going to sing his praises, hear a little devotion, sing some more of his praises, and then go home. All right. We'll see you later. We love you. Don't forget about pie. And don't forget about Out pie. In the foyer.